text for the sermon today comes from Genesis 22, 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over, and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This is the word of our Lord. I should probably turn that on, right, Chad? Thank you, Rhonda. Hey, I want to welcome you to Camp Community. Uh, We said last week that every week, uh, because we're uh, talking about the VBS week and the VBS theme, that we're going to gather around the campfire because the campfire is what binds all of these stories together. Just loosely, there's a fire in each of these stories, and so Camp Community is... uh, is our theme, and uh, the campfire is what we'll gather around every week. And so what I want to do around the campfire today is to take you back, some of you, to your VBS experience with a song that I'm sure is familiar to a lot of you. The words are just deep and wide. Anybody? Yes. All right. Are you ready? You probably even know the actions. I, I, I'm just betting. Okay, here we go. Deep and wide. Deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Now, our minister, when we were growing up, Leon Weiss, he loved to take words out, right? And then to trick people. And so the trickiest word to leave out of that song is actually fountain. And so let's try it. Let's see if we can all get it. All right, just when we come to it, just leave it out. All right, here we go. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a flowing deep and wide. I heard it over here. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a 
flowing deep and wide. It doesn't matter how much you warn people, that word still comes out, you know. And Leon just loved to trick people like that. And so that was our gather around the campfire for camp community uh, song from yesteryear. Now we're in Genesis chapter 22. And the VBS theme um, for this day is this, that God is good. And because he's good, we can trust him. Because he's good, we can trust him. Let me bring you up to speed with Abraham. Long story short, Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and says, I will be your God. You will be my people. From you is going to come a great nation. There will be more people than you can count that will be your descendants. And I will give you a child. And in Genesis chapter 18, God comes to Abraham and his wife Sarah in their old age way past the time that they should have children. And he says, this time next year, you will have a child. Sarah even laughs at God as if that's something you should do. But a year later, Isaac is born. And Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the one through whom the promise of God will be carried out. The great nation, more numerous than anybody can count, will come because Isaac is born. And years later, Isaac has grown somewhat. We don't know exactly how old he was at this time. In Genesis chapter 22, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to test you, Abraham. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer me your son, your one and only son, whom you love, Isaac. And it was a test to prove that Abraham really trusted and really followed God. Here's the very next thing that happens. This is astounding to me. Verse 3, Abraham hears this call of God and he says, here am I. Actually, three times in this text, that's what Abraham says. Here am I. Or we would, we could twist the words, here I am. He answers God. And in verse 3, there was no decision, no, no deliberation, no thinking about it, just a decision, a decision Verse 3 says he got up early and he prepared to carry out what God had asked. There's a phrase in this little section that says that Abraham got up early and he saddled his donkey. And it's a great phrase. It seems out of place. Do we really need to know that Abraham took a donkey to start this journey and take this journey to the mountains where God would show him? Well, I, I don't think so, but yet it's there. What is this saddled his donkey there for? We get some help from... Rabbi Daniel Lapin, he says, when you encounter donkeys in the Old Testament, donkeys represent the material body. The reason is because the word for donkey is exactly the same Hebrew word as the word for the material of your life or the or body or the physical things in your life. And so when somebody is said to have saddled their donkey, what it means is that they were suppressing, they were subjugating their material wants, their physical wants and their desires And they are disciplining themselves to do the hard thing. And that's what Abraham is doing. God says, offer me your son. That's an incredibly hard thing. And so Abraham had to saddle his donkey. Abraham had to put his head in charge. That's what it means. Saddled his donkey means that Abraham put his head in charge. And so the donkey here is not necessarily about the mode of transport, although they did use the donkey, right? But it's about Abraham determining to follow his head rather than his heart. And that's the key to his obedience. Abraham is successful in dominating his heart and following his head. 
and doing what he knows is right to do. There's no deliberation, just a decision to go and sacrifice his son. And it's at this point that we have a huge problem. God's command is a problem here. Go and offer your son, Isaac. Now, it's not a problem to church people. We church people that have been around the church for, you know, years and decades and most of our life, we come to Genesis 22. And let me just say this. We're pretty much in a deep church nap. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a big coma. We've just been familiar. This story is familiar to us. And so we come and we hear the preacher say, hey, Abraham was obedient. And we applaud Abraham for his obedience. And what I want you to do is kind of just wake up from your church nap. Okay. Just for 20 minutes or so. And I want you to read this story from the perspective where you did not attend VBS. Read it from the perspective as if you're people who didn't grow up with the Bible. Read it from the point of view that you don't know the Bible stories. Read it from the mindset uh, that you are reading it for the first time. And when you read it for the first time, oh my, do we have a problem. Right? People without the Judeo-Christian story in their background. Read Genesis 22 and they immediately say, What? What? What kind of what? What kind of God would ask this? And then they say, number two, what kind of person would actually do what God is asking him to do here? What is going on? We are content, right? We're church people. We're content with the message, hey, no matter how crazy the command is, just obey God. We're content with that. People outside these walls look in and say, you, you people are nuts. That's crazy. I don't want any part of that. And they're right. They're right in this respect. If the moral of this story is just to obey no matter what, then we have a problem. Soren Kierkegaard puts it well as he writes about this. He always had a problem with Genesis 22. And he, he says it this way. If, imagine yourself in a congregation and the preacher is preaching on Genesis 22 and he applauds Abraham. Good job, Abraham. You've obeyed God. We should all be like Abraham. And then everybody leaves. And a certain man who was in that audience that day goes home and he does exactly what Abraham did. He takes his son. He binds his son up. And he kills his son, offering him up to God. What, Kierkegaard asks, what will the sermon be about next week? You can guess. How dare this tragedy be in our community? How dare somebody would do this? And Soren Kierkegaard says, we got a problem. If it's just about ethics, then this story doesn't work. And let's be honest, if a guy named Abraham came up in Fort Scott, here in Fort Scott, and told everybody else that God told him to kill his son, to offer his son up to him, and he took him up on the top of the tallest building in Fort Scott, and he started binding him up, and he built an altar up there, and he wielded a knife, and we saw that, we would call the SWAT team, right? Shake your head yes, please. Okay, thank you. All right? We would do that, right? The command is a problem. And yet, Abraham decided, he saddled his donkey, he said, here I am, God, and he went to do what God had asked him to do. Why in the world does he do this? And I need to help you by putting 
context around what Abraham would have heard when he heard God say, offer your son. First of all, number one, this was not a command to murder. If it was a command to murder, then, you know, a simple, there are lots of other ways this could have been done. As terrible as it is to say, a simple, a simple stab of Isaac and, he's, and it's over, right? But this was not a command to murder. And if it was, Abraham never would have done it. The command was to offer a sacrifice to God. And that's what made perfect sense to Abraham. And it wasn't just an, uh, a command to offer a sacrifice, but it was a command to offer a certain type of sacrifice. Let me explain it this way. In Abraham's time, people were not about individuals. People were about family. Uh, we are a very individualistic society. In our families, we're concerned what Billy's going to go off and do, and Susie and Johnny, okay? And we hope that all of those go, peop, uh, children go off and they do something great so that our family status can be elevated. That's what we hope. In Abraham's time, it was exactly the opposite. We want the family to be intact. It, it's all about the family. We don't really care about what happens to individuals as long as the family status is maintained, as long as the family continues to grow in wealth and power and status. And so it's all about family. And the continuance of the family was crucial. And there is a certain law that was universally practiced in Abraham's time. And we're going we're gonna to call it this, the law of the firstborn. The law of the firstborn went this way. That when the patriarch of the family died, everything, and I mean everything, was given to the firstborn. The whole inheritance, all of the family's wealth, all of the lands, all of the livestock, everything was given to the firstborn. They were given everything and they had to become the benefactor of the family and the family continued to build in wealth and status and prosper. If... It had been done like we do it, and we spread our wealth to our kids, right? Then automatically the family loses its status, it loses its wealth, it loses its power. And so the firstborns were given everything so that the family could continue its status. How many of you are firstborn children in the room? Yes, congratulations. You get it all. Awesome. But it comes with a catch, firstborn people. Be careful before you are too joyous. Here's what God says about the firstborn in the Old Testament. Do you remember? Have you been reading through it? What does he say? If you have firstborn livestock, God says, it's mine. If you have grain, the first part of the harvest, the first fruits is mine. And even with children, the firstborn is mine. You see that in the Exodus where Moses goes and tries to take the Israelites out of Egypt. And what is the very last and most dire plague? It is the judgment of God on people. What is required as payment? It is the firstborn, what? Child. Firstborn child. And it was to Egypt and it was to Jews too unless they painted 
the blood of the lamb on their door frames, and then the angel of death would pass over. But God required the firstborn as payment for sin. Even after that, we can read in Exodus 22, in Numbers 3, in Numbers 8, the life of the firstborn is God's. Unless it is redeemed, unless it is bought back by another payment or another sacrifice, it is God's. And what God is saying to every family is, you owe me a debt because of sin. Your family has sinned. No one is righteous, not even one. You owe me. And what Abraham would have understood immediately when God said, offer your son Isaac, is, I owe God. And only my firstborn son can stand as payment for the debt I owe. I have no choice. I have to offer Isaac. If God would have come and said to Abraham, offer Sarah to me, he never would have listened. He never would have done it. Because he would have known this isn't God talking. This isn't God talking, asking me to give my wife and to offer her as a sacrifice. That's inconsistent with the true God. But the firstborn, that's a different story. God is a God of holiness and justice. And he can't overlook the debt that every family owes. And so by asking for Isaac, Abraham would have understood God is calling in his debt. And so the command here is to offer the firstborn. And Abraham says, say it with me, here am I. Here am I. There's a second here am I in the text. Let's walk through it just for a second. Verse 3 and 4, Abraham prepares for this journey. He takes uh, three days to travel to these mountains where God will show him uh, that is to be the place where the sacrifice takes place. In verse 5, he leaves the donkey again. That's an interesting another donkey reference. He's saying to his mind again, I have dreams and hopes, but I've got to lay them down because God has asked me to do something else. I'm leaving the donkey at the base of the mountain. And he says, I and the boy will go from here. And they uh, go up. And now it's just he and Isaac. And verse 6, Isaac is carrying the wood up the mountain. Abraham is carrying the dangerous stuff. He's carrying the knife. Uh, He's carrying the fire because he's a good dad, right? And they are walking together. And in verse 7, somewhere on that path up the mountain, Isaac speaks. And he says, my father. He says, dad, hey, wait a minute. And what does Abraham say? Here I am. Here I am. Some of your versions say, yes, my son. Okay. But it's the exact same Hebrew phrase. Here am I. Here am I. And Isaac says, the fire's here. The wood, wood is here. But I, I, I understand we're coming to sacrifice. Where's the lamb? If we're going up to build an altar to sacrifice something to God, where is the lamb? And it was one of those moments as a parent, I'm sure, that Abraham was thinking, kid, you do not want the answer to that. Right? Because Abraham knew where the lamb was. Abraham knew that it was the lamb that was asking the question. Isaac was the lamb. And I want you to think about the shoes that Abraham is in. Just because Abraham knows the reason that God is asking for this incredible sacrifice doesn't make it any easier. Imagine how conflicted Abraham is, how much pain he's in, knowing that it's his son, Isaac, that he's giving up. And his son is hard enough to give up. Losing a child is bad enough. But on top of that, it's what this child will represent. It's the future that this child represents. The promise. Isaac is the son of promise. 
Isaac is God's proof that the future that he promised Abraham would come true. Without Isaac, the future is lost. And he is the only son that makes the promise happen. And so God, the one who made the promise, the one who gave Isaac as the proof of the promise, is seemingly now taking it all back. Isn't that amazing? On top of that, It's very likely that Isaac, like a lot of kids, has become his father's security and his center. Isaac is the very promise of God. And over the years, it's very likely that Isaac has become the thing that Abraham trusts in and hopes in and finds peace in. Isaac is the thing in Abraham's life that if he lost it, his world would crumble. That place is usually supposed to be reserved for God, by the way. And all of us have that thing in our lives that we make into an ultimate kind of thing. We find our ultimate joy, our ultimate happiness, our ultimate value in that thing. It's supposed to be God, but we all put something else there. And for Abraham, it was Isaac. What has become your emotional center, your hope, your security, your joy? What's your ultimate meaning in life? If it's not God, then is it surprising when God comes and says, I want that thing? And that's what he does for Abraham. Life has a way of stripping those things away from us that we make into ultimate meaning. Ask Job about that. Ask King David about that. Ask Moses about that. And go to Genesis chapter 22 and ask Abraham about that. His hope, his very life is being stripped from him. And now the promise that God himself made, the son and the future is in danger. And Abraham's life is being torn apart. So understand Abraham's dilemma. His dilemma is this. If God calls in his debt because of his holiness and takes the son of promise, then how will the promise be kept, the loving side of God, that he himself made? You see the problem? Oh, man, that's just that's so much bigger than just a discussion about ethics. God can be holy and call in the debt at the expense of his love and his promise. Or he can be loving and keep his promise and let Isaac live, but at the expense of justice and righteousness and his holiness. And either option is is extreme. Either option produces consequences that no one wants to live with, and that's another sermon, okay? But the dilemma is this. Will God be holy or will he be loving both seem to be impossible at the same time. And so my question, as I look at Genesis 22, is how in the world did Abraham saddle the donkey? How did he go up that mountain? How did he say, here I am, when God, God's holiness called and says, you owe me a debt? And how did he say, here I am, when God's promise called him and said, I've promised you a nation of descendants? And he went up the mountain clinging to both. How is that possible? You see, for most of us, either we view God as a wrathful, righteous God that we owe a debt to, or we see him as a loving, generous God and good to us. And either way we go, it's at the expense of the other. We hold naturally to one or the other. And if you read Luke chapter 15, we are either prodigals 
or we are elder brothers. And either way prevents us from going up the mountain and following God's call. If God lays down his command to us and he's holy and he says, I want you to do these five things, we will say, I'll never be able to do that. And so we quit and we don't go up the mountain. If God comes down to us and says, here's my promise, I love you, I will never not love you, then we have a tendency to say, then I don't have to do those five things that you've told me about, and so we don't follow God there either. And the end result is the same. We don't follow God's call, but Abraham does. Abraham successfully answers both calls. He says, here I am to God, your holiness, and here I am to the promise How does he do that? And Abraham has a secret. It's in verse 8. When Isaac asks him this, where is the lamb? Abraham's response, God will provide. The word provide means see to it. God will see to it. And from this little phrase, we get one of the names of God, Jehovah Jireh. Maybe you've heard that before. You've heard God referred to as Jehovah Jireh. It means that he is the great provider. God is the great provider. And Abraham, in his mind, all the way up the mountain, is thinking, I don't know how the debt is going to be paid to God. And at the same time, the promise that he made to me is going to be fulfilled. But I know he'll do it because he's good. I can trust him. He'll see to it. He is the provider. And at the top of the mountain, Abraham builds an altar. He lays the wood out. He binds his son up. It's interesting that there's no struggle from Isaac. That's probably a whole different sermon, right? And then he takes the knife. Oh, it's not the knife that you think in your mind. It's this. Um, All the way through the Old Testament, we read about sacrifices, animal sacrifices. What what kind of a knife do you think they used? You got to know a butcher, to get a knife like this, right? He's sitting on the back row over here. So thank you very much. How do you sacrifice bulls and goats and rams? You use a cleaver. And the Hebrew word here, it's not really knife. It's this. And Abraham raises the knife, the cleaver. And he is about to sacrifice his son. And he hears a voice. It's an angel calling out. And he says, Abraham. And what's Abraham's response? You know it by now. Here I am. Here am I. Here am I. The angel says, don't lay your hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God and you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham's mind starts turning and he realizes, oh, you do love me. You do love me. The promise will be kept. You're not going to have, have me sacrifice Isaac. The promise will be kept. The nation of people will happen. But then his mind continues to work and he realizes, but what about the payment? What about the debt that I owe you? And God offers the payment himself. It's in the thicket. It's a ram. It's caught by its horns. It's a ram that was offered in place of Isaac because God is the provider. He is the good father rescuing us when we are caught in between his love and his holiness. And Abraham's line to to Isaac in verse 8, after he says, God will see to it, God will provide. He says this little word. He says, God will provide for himself. Himself. 
Why is that there? It's there because God will take care of His holiness and He will come through with His promise because He Himself has become the solution for our sin. You know the solution, right? There are all kinds of hints at it here in this text. Here's a son who is carrying the wood up a hill. Here's a ram with horns. Isn't a ram with horns, couldn't we say it this way, that that's a male lamb? Of course, we would never say that, but it's a male lamb at the end of the day. Here in this text is an innocent sacrificed in place of the guilty. Here in this text, is it coincidence that this ram, this lamb is caught by its head in thorns? Is it coincidence that they take a three-day journey to get to these mountains where this altar will be built? And is it coincidence that this mountain itself is called Moriah? And centuries later, in this very range of mountains, there will be a city that's built that's called Jerusalem. And you remember what happened in that city? In these same hills, another son who is the lamb who will take away the sins of the world, was forced to carry wood up a hill while thorns were pushed into his head. He willingly died in our place so that we could go free from the penalty we deserved. We were redeemed because God himself provided the payment. And three days later, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we get a promise of life forever. Because of the lamb that God provided for himself, his holiness is satisfied and his love is never in danger. Is that good news? Absolutely. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have paid the price for us. That is an astounding thing. Let us never take it for granted. We should have been on that altar because that's the debt we owe you. And yet you are the great provider. You are the good God, the good father that says, I will pay the penalty that you owe and I will pay it myself. And I will send my son to die in your place so that you can live. Father, we thank you that that is the message of the gospel, that that's our hope. Father, maybe we we worship you for giving us everything that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand. And uh, one of the things about this text that is so great is verse 12. When the angel comes to Abraham, he says, Look, because you were willing to sacrifice your son, now I know. Now I know you love me. Because you gave your son. You did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. And Abraham, now I know you love, you love God. And I want to I just say to you that when life is taking those things that we've elevated and put in the position of God and it's stripping those things away from us, the only thing that will help is for us to look at what God has done for us through Jesus. And the way we do that is verse 12. We just turn those words around and say them back to God. When we see Jesus on the cross, when we see God giving his only son for us, we can say those words. Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, 
your only son, whom you love, from me. It'll point you to Jesus. And it will reestablish him as the ultimate thing in your life. Maybe some of you need to establish him as the ultimate thing in your life for the very first time today. If that's you, you come. Others of you maybe need to sign up for a prayer partner. You go to the poster board and do that as we sing.